is that season when we um, both remember those who were waiting for the Messiah to come, but even as we remember and wait, we also look forward to and hunger and wait for the day when Christ comes again. And so the, the season of Advent is that twofold, uh, uh, twofold uh, symbolism that's going on, both the remembering and the looking forward. Um, so, and uh, traditionally, and so it's the four weeks before uh, Christmas, and so the four Sundays before Christmas, uh, we light a candle each each uh, each week as we're kind of um, so we have the growing light in the church as we wait, even as the days outside get darker and darker. Um, and so it's in the midst of the darkness that we await the, the great light of Christ. So that's kind of what you have going on there, okay? Uh, with Advent, it's a very old practice in the church, and uh, something that uh, we as Threshold started doing, I think it's been like four years that uh, we've been doing uh, uh, Advent, where we've really been uh, working with the church here. It's been about four years that we've been doing that. Prior to that, you know, we were a little bit more freewheeling about this whole stuff. Uh, but um, uh, since then, that's what we've been doing. Um, all right. Let me go ahead and jump into our message. So, last time we were together, uh, we were talking about that time. We were looking at Jeremiah, as I recall. And uh, Jeremiah was prophesying to the people of Israel and Judah, both kingdoms, actually. He's actually mainly in the Judean kingdom. Um, about their need to repent uh, or that God was, uh, you know, going to have to um, uh, put them into bondage, into, into slavery. Uh, people did not repent. And so 587 B.C. is the first time that the Babylonians uh, conquer uh, Judah. And then they come back again and do it all over again in 586 B.C. And um, this is the beginning of what's called the Babylonian exile. Because one of the things the Babylonians did is, is that uh, they would take uh, the best of, uh, of that community and uh, like most, most of it, they would leave behind like uh, the widows, the cripples, and so forth. They would leave those behind but they'd take everybody else and they would take them to Babylon. And then in Babylon, they would <clears throat> encourage uh, their mixing into the, 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 uh, the culture and the kingdom of Babylon. They would encourage that through, uh, through marriage and so forth. And uh, basically the idea was to assimilate these other cultures to where the other culture didn't exist anymore. So that was uh, the Babylonian exile. But then in 539 BC, the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians. 
and uh, particularly at this time it's Cyrus of Persia that conquers the Babylonians. And now, at this point, where we're going to be reading in our story, Cyrus is no longer uh, king of the Persians. It's Darius. Now, uh, Cyrus allowed Jews, uh, uh, after he conquered Babylon, he allowed Jews to return to Jerusalem. But Daniel, who we're going to be reading about, is among those Jews who remains in exile. He stays in exile. And he continues to live in a kingdom that is other than his own kingdom. <clears throat> so the story of Daniel is a story of how one continues to live in exile. How do you faithfully live in a kingdom that you don't belong to? Now, today, we begin the season of Advent, and um, we talked about Advent a little bit, and about this, this waiting that happens, and how it's both a, a looking back, but a looking forward. And so when we sing, sing songs like, for instance, the best known uh, hymn of Advent is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, and think of the, the, the words of that song. It says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom, to, to save them, ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile until the Son of God appear. And so we, we look back and we remember how Israel was in exile, not living within their own kingdom, and that they need to be saved, but then we also sing those words, and those words are our words also, as we look forward. Because we too are a people living in a kingdom other than our own. See, the idea here is that you're not at home. That your true home, your true kingdom, is somewhere else. <clears throat> now, these people with, with Daniel don't have their own kingdom. He's living under a foreign power. Their ideals, the ideals of the Jewish people that are in exile are very different uh, than uh, the people of Persia. And this book takes us into this place where there, this, where there is this incredible tension between the demands of the ruling society and the values that one holds. And I think this is something we can certainly understand in this country and in this culture. You know, we, we, we have these competing sets of values that come to us from our society and from our culture. We, we have these things that try to claim our loyalty over and above God. And these challenges are the kinds of challenges that we see Daniel being faced with. <clears throat> now, 
today, probably only today, I'm actually going to read the lesson first, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. All right? So this is the text. It's Daniel um, chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. So the presidents and satraps, I may stop and talk a little bit in the middle. I'm not going to promise anything. I'm not going to promise. <laughs> so the presidents and satraps conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and entered it. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict that you have signed, but he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel, and until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Now I will just pause there, because what you don't have here background-wise is that Daniel is part of the king's court and is very respected by the king. Uh, Daniel has worked himself up to a place of prominence and importance within this culture while still adhering to his own values. And so the king thinks a lot of Daniel. The presidents and the satraps were very jealous of him. And so they conspired to trap Daniel. And that's what's going on here. And that's why the king is now in a very precarious situation. He has made a law, but doesn't want to keep the law because of his relationship with Daniel. All right. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed 
Then the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have, been, I have done no wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be brought out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king gave a command, and those who had accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, because they, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples and nations of every tongue throughout the whole country and the whole world. Oh, we'll wait there. We'll come back to what the king says there. So Daniel has, throughout his life, handled himself admirably in exile. And Daniel was probably born in exile. And he has risen in the ranks of leadership. In the job that he has had, he has been loyal and proven his value to the king, so much so that there are those, as I mentioned, the presidents and the satraps that have become jealous of him. So they conspire to bring him down. They convince the, the king to pass this law. Now, Daniel knows this, but continues to pray anyway. And think about how it even says he prays. He prays in front of a window, as he always had. Now, Daniel could have just kept praying, but prayed in private. But no, Daniel had always prayed in this way and was not going to change how he was going to pray because of this law. And so, right in front of the window, once again, Daniel prays. Even though he is in danger of death, he continues to hold to his faith in the true God. See, Daniel is living in a world, a context that is trying to make him conform to something that undercuts the most basic, important convictions in his life. And Daniel doesn't know that everything's going to turn out all right. He doesn't know what's going to happen. In fact, if he were to guess, he probably would, would guess that he is going to die. But he continues to pray anyway. The underlying truth here is that to be a part of God's kingdom, 
means we will sometimes have to live at odds with the kingdom that we're in. I think we all have felt that at some time or another in our lives. So how do you live in this truth that we are what scripture calls aliens in a kingdom? Not the scary kind. <laughs> the scary kind. <laughs> so how do you how do you claim this promise of God? to know that he will be with you in these most challenging of times in your life. Because clearly God doesn't spare everyone who is faithful. You don't know what's going to happen. Daniel didn't know what was going to happen. But he chooses to put his faith in God regardless. And as we consider that, listen to the words of Darius that I uh, skipped at the very end. This is the decree which he sends out to all the people of Persia. And he sends it as it says, he wrote to all people and nations of every language throughout the whole world about this about what has taken place. May you have abundant prosperity. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. For he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Listen to what Darius, the Persian, says here. God's kingdom will never end, he says. It will never end. And this kingdom is the one that you belong to. This kingdom is your home. You know, Daniel's story, as I've said a number of times now as we've worked through the Old Testament, Daniel's story points us towards Christ. Because this is the salvation story. Christ, who is faithful, is put to death. But when the stone is rolled away, he is alive. He promises that whoever has faith in him will do the same. That's his promise for you. That is a promise that you can claim for your life. Listen to what it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the, great, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We're not at home here. We are citizens of another kingdom. We can live in this kingdom and do well and be successful, but there will be times when you will be asked to conform. There will be times when you will be asked to be less than the person God has called you to be. When that happens, know that you can stand firm no matter what fate awaits you. Because he is the living God, as Darius says. His kingdom is forever. He rescues and saves. Amen.